The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. It's nice to be here, and um, I hope you're not too out of sorts with the uh, time change. A trick was played on us overnight. Um, I was remembering some time spent living in Japan and Japan is one of the I don't know if it's if it's unusual or it's not but Japan doesn't use daylight savings time and I was told that after the war um, the Americans uh, who were administering Japan um, imposed daylight savings time and then when there was the changeover back to the to the Japanese government, one of the first things they did was get, you know, <laughs> get that unnatural um, change. And the only thing I noticed about not having daylight savings time, which was very nice, or I thought it was very nice, is that, of course, it gets brighter much earlier in the morning. And then as the as the days are longer and the summer comes, it gets, it gets, the sun comes up really early, like four in the morning or something. And because the, the climate in Japan is very hot and humid during the day, it's not that pleasant, at least not for me to be outside, but early in the morning, it's so nice and nobody's out because it's so early and it's bright and it's cool. So that was what I was reflecting on driving (laughs) here today. Um, It's very nice to sit with you and sit together. Um, The other thing I was reflecting on while while we were sitting is this sort of the difference in the feeling of of meditating together versus just if we were all sitting, you know, kind of waiting, waiting for our flight to, <laughs> you know, or something. Um, probably there would be some benefit, maybe a lot of benefit for just sitting quietly, sitting together, you know, and, and um, that would be nice. Um, but there's something about um, the the presence, the purposefulness that, that, that I could feel in the room. And it was, in, 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 in my own meditation, I would sort of have this feeling of going back and forth between sitting all by myself. So I, I sort of felt that, like I was totally alone. And then there would be this awareness of the room and everybody and just kind of going back and forth, which was very sweet. And that's a long way of saying that... Um, one of the, maybe one of the uh, qualities that separates sitting together in meditation from just sitting on our own is this uh, quality or factor of intention. You know, the intention that we bring to our sitting. You know, we're not just sitting and, and sort of just, you know, waiting, waiting for something. Um, there's a, it's infused with um, some kind of intention, some kind of direction, some kind of purposefulness. Um, 
And, and in a way, that's, that's what meditation is. That's all meditation is, is giving our attention, giving our awareness um, with, with a kind of intention, with, with, so, with some kind of um, uh, direction. So I thought this morning to say a little bit about um, intention, about this, this quality of intention and, you know, um, the role it might play in spiritual practice, in our life. Um, you've probably heard the, the, the line from Yogi Berra, if, if we don't know where we're going then we might end up somewhere else. (laughs) Sometimes in meditation, we are um, instructed to let go of goals, you know, and just to sit and, and be here and be present and... Um, that's, I think that's a beautiful instruction. It can be a very helpful instruction. Um, but we're still... I think there's a difference between having an intention and having a goal. And maybe one of the differences is that intention is about the present moment and how we are, how we are oriented in the present moment, whereas a goal is about the future. So it's in, it's in the world of you know, the future and ideas. So, um, I, I recently had the opportunity to spend a little time with um, a monk, Buddhist monk, called Bhikkhu Bodhi. Some of you might know him or heard of him. He's uh, um, a very well-respected practitioner and translator of the ancient texts. has been a monk for almost 50 years and um, a lot of that time living in Asia and Sri Lanka, and now he's, he's in residence here um, in the U.S. And so we, we had a few appointments together, and then we had lunch together in the city, and, and, uh, and he wears the robes. And one of the... One of the... Th- just in just being with him and and spending time with him and um, one of the things that really impressed me or really really hit home was that how much of the the monastic life maybe is a life of intention it's a life of you know and that was sort of that sort of um, express symbolically in the in the robe in the um, and there wasn't anything particular about you know what he did or you know it was nice and you know um, sweet in, in in how he was but it expresses something you know to, to walk in the world with this you know intention of not harming this intention of waking up so about intention um, So maybe we can say about meditation practice or dharma practice, it has a certain kind of direction. You know, 
Um, and the classical, the classical definition of that direction is that our intention maybe is to move in in the direction of less self-inflicted stress, less self-inflicted suffering, more ease, more peace, more freedom. You know, so that would be the kind of classical formulation. And then I think there's a way that each of us, um, you know, hopefully can or, um, you know, formulate for ourselves what is our intention? What is our intention to, um, you know, and of course it operates on all these different levels. So what's my intention to come here today? What's my intention? You know, we can reflect on this in the morning. What, what, what do I want today to be about? You know, of course I'm going to do all the things I'm meant to do, but what's, what's the motivation um, behind it? And then we can reflect also, what about my life? What is my deepest intention? Uh, Suzuki Roshi, the um, teacher from the founding teacher from the San Francisco Zen Center, talked about what is my innermost request? You know, and um, I think often we're so outward looking, and um, this is one of the pivots. That, that Buddhist practice uh, encourages to take some time and reflect on why we do what we do. Um, and then to come, to come into contact with what, what our deepest wish, our deepest intention might be, and then notice how, how we're living and the ways that these two may be in harmony, they, they may be aligned, and the ways that they may not be so aligned. And um, I know for myself, when I'm not acting or when I'm not living in alignment with what my deepest values are, there's a pain in that, you know. And um, and it's so and so, it's helpful to just sense into that and. and and, and um, bring it into awareness, bring it into consciousness. Um, so intention, uh, the, the Pali word for intention is chetana, um, sometimes translated as volition, or directedness of mind. One teacher has called this quality sort of like the chief of staff of the mind. So this is the quality that uh, organizes all the other different mental factors towards a goal, towards an action. Um, the other image I really like for intention is it's the electrical current that keeps something running. So, you know, if you have a blender or something, for the, for the, for the appliance for the, to, to keep operating, it needs this current. We, we pull the plug and everything stops. So we may not be aware of it, but 
But the suggestion here, the idea here, is that just like an electrical current, intention is a, is a quality of mind, is a factor that's happening in each moment. It's happening all the time. And it needs to keep happening for, 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 the, for us to... So if you were coming here today or driving here, some, somewhere in there or out there or somewhere, an intention was operating to keep, you know, in each moment that kept us on the way, kept us coming here. And, and we know intention matters quite a lot. Um, one of the examples that's often used is if there's a very sharp knife that is being used to, you know, cut into us, it matters quite a bit if that, if that knife is in the hands of a surgeon who's, you know, trying to help us or, you know, someone who's not (laughs) trying to help us. Um, The the other, just recently reflecting on this was um, I had the opportunity to um, offer some donations recently and some friends were raising money. Um, The sister of a friend has uh, come down with uh, quite a rare form of cancer. And um, she has for- forged a very close bond with her, with her doctor, with her oncologist. And it's such a rare cancer that there's not that much research about it, particularly. So any amount of money that's raised is really actually going into like just trying these different things. And, and so it's, there's a lot of um, wonderful energy around you know raising money to help support this doctor and his research and this is through Sloan Kettering and you know in New York and so they had a fundraising event and um, there was an opportunity to donate online and one of the things about when you donate online your name comes up or can come up with you know your name and then how much you donated and it's a very interesting it's actually a brilliant fundraising <laughs> thing because what it does is it takes, you know, it takes advantage of um, this, uh, this very human, this very human phenomena of that most of the things we do are, our intentions are, our motivations are um, are not just singular, you know. So, like in 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 this case, um, you know, I was very happy to to make a donation and 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 sort of wanted to, you know, kind of in in my mind, I I, I thought, you know, with this click, may you know, this help, you know, da 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 da. But it did also go into my, <laughs> you know, like, oh, well, hang on a second. Let me, you could kind of scroll up and see, oh, who donated? You know, and so, oh, I know him. I know that, you know. Uh, oh, and, and they're going to know me, <laughs> you know. And, and so there was just a little bit of a sort of, you know, I don't know how it affected, you know, what I did, to be honest. But 
what I appreciated about it is it was taking advantage of the fact that we often do things and there are multiple um, intentions, multiple um, motivations. So, um, so the suggestion is that um, it's beneficial, it can be beneficial to just take a look at why we do what we do. I remember when um, social media was getting popular and Facebook was getting popular and, and Gil had this um, suggestion of uh, bringing this mindfulness of intention into how we are online. You know, and it's a very interesting question of why do I share, if you're on Facebook or these things and you share things or post things, why do I share what I share? You know, what do I, why do I post what I post? Why do I say what I say? We're in a conversation with somebody. You know, is it about, you know, this very straightforward giving information or conveying a certain feeling? Or is there also something about wanting, maybe wanting to be um, thought of in a certain way? Or, you know, something about self-identity or something about, you know, just to notice, just to, just to look. So, so intention operates on this moment-to-moment basis, and it operates in these um, uh, you know we can look at the larger arc of our life and, and see how intention and motivation uh, is operating. One, one of the sobering um, messages that I take from this, from the fact that in, in t- if, if it's true, that intention is, we're having an intention in each moment. Um, probably for most of us, most of those intentions are, we're not aware of them, right? You know, they're operating off the stage. You know, whether you call that the unconscious or, you know, or what. And the, the good news about um, Dharma practice and maybe one of the most significant benefits of mindfulness practice, awareness practice, is that we become aware more and more of the intentions, of the motivations, of the inclinations of the mind that we haven't been aware of, that have been behind the scenes or under the surface. Um, and so again, this is just one of the things to, to um, keep in mind or to notice. There was a, a time when I was on a meditation retreat and I noticed that my body was rocking, you know, kind of like this or at least it felt like it was rocking. There was this perception that the body was just rocking. And it was a little strange. It was, you know, I wasn't, I didn't want it to be happening. I didn't, you know, it was just happening. And I remember talking to the teacher, one of my teachers about it, and um, being a little concerned, you know, what's going on and why is this? And the teacher said, well, In a very quiet moment, 
take a look and notice if there's some intention or there's some permission that you're giving yourself to do this. And I thought, there's no way. I don't want to be doing this. There's no way I'm doing this intentionally. And then, of course, you know, sure enough, at some point in, in the meditation, there was this very, very subtle, sort of like, I don't know, it was like a, just this little inclination to do this or to, or to have this feeling or something. And it was, I could feel that there was this intention. And if I noticed right where that moment was, one teacher calls it the about-to moment. You, when you're about to do something, if you notice that about-to moment, if there's mindfulness there, then we have a choice. Then we have a choice whether to actually act on that or not. And as soon as I could pinpoint that moment, it totally stopped. You know, because I knew, I, I found the, p- the place of choice. And... So this is one of the interesting explorations around intention in, you know, in a quiet moment or in a sitting is just, just to find these moments of choice. Um, and what I realized was that, and it was a little bit unexpected, was that this movement, this sort of rocking movement, there was a sort of pleasure in it. There was a sort of pleasantness in it. And I think that was, in a way, maybe the... the the payoff or the incentive or something, you know, very subtle. Um, Maybe less subtle is the experience that many of us probably have in meditation of the wandering mind, you know, of just we have an intention to sit here, be present, maybe be with the sensations of the body, the breath, and then, you know, we'll start dreaming about something or thinking about something. And... We may think to ourselves, I don't, you know, I don't want to be daydreaming. I want to be here. I want to be concentrated and present. And, but the suggestion here is that for the wandering mind to happen, there's some, there, some, somewhere in there, in a moment that we haven't noticed that's happened, you know, under the radar of our awareness, we've given permission or we've given, you know, We've, we've sort of, some, somewhere in us, we said, yeah, why not? Let's just go with it. And, you know, and then we're off on some memory or some, some, some daydream. And so um, without judgment, without any kind, you know, it's just this is what human minds do. Can we notice the moment of choice? The moment of choice, and it may not be at the very beginning of the wandering mind. It may be at various points in the middle that we notice, oh, huh, I'm thinking about yesterday, tomorrow, something. And we sort of choose to stay with it or choose to go with it. And then there are moments that we choose to come back, choose to come back to the breath, come back to the body. So these moments of choice are the mom- are very significant in Dharma practice and Buddhist practice because these are the moments where we can wake up. These are the moments where we can be free of the conditioning, of the habits, of the intentions that are operating under the surface. And when, we f- when there's 
choice, there's a possibility to choose something else. You know, and the Buddha said, if we didn't have choice, there would be no, there would be no point to spiritual practice because, you know, it would all just be operating. Um, it would be predetermined, predestined. And then so one of the great blessings, one of the great um, uh, benefits of mindfulness practice is increasing the amount of choice we have, increasing these moments of choice. Um, does, that, does that make sense? Or that? This, is, this is in a little bit of a different, coming at this from a little bit of a different uh, angle. It's a little bit of a new age, new agey angle, but just, just get, a, get a little different flavor of it. So this is called, your actions come from your images. Regardless of the circumstances of your life, you are the writer, director, and producer of your mental images. You will always act out those pictures. Your circumstances do not determine what your life will be, they reveal the kinds of images you have chosen up until now. Your mind stores away all of the images that you elect and you daily carry out the assignment of those thoughts. You cannot have a feeling without first having a thought. Your behavior is based upon your feelings, which are based upon your thoughts. So the thing to work on is not necessarily to change your behavior, but those things inside of our consciousness that we call thoughts. Once our thoughts reflect what we genuinely want to be, the appropriate emotions and actions will flow automatically. Believe it and you will see it. (laughs) That's from, you'll see it when you believe it, by Wayne Dyer. If anyone remembers Wayne. (laughs) It's, you know, I'm just giving a, you know, uh, another flavor of this. So the Buddha said, the Buddha said, all experience, um, is, all experience is determined by mind, all experience is shaped by mind, right? Um, our mind, our intention, Um, not only color and flavor how we experience our life, our inner life, but actually build our experience, build our experience. Um, You know, and we know that in a very kind of ordinary way that when, um, when we feel... Uh, stressed and rushed and um, irritated. Um, you know, someone can someone can yell at us while we're driving, and we may, you know, or someone may do something that 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 you know, cut us off or something, and we may react. We may we may. Uh, um, you know, react out of, out of those difficult feelings. In the same way, if we are spacious, if we are connected to our intention, you know, 
our deepest intention and, and have a lot of ease, a lot of space, there's a lot, there's a lot of space to hold difficult things. And, you know, we may not, um, you know, just, just yesterday I was, I was driving in the city and I was just hap- you know, happily, probably in my own world and a little bit, you know, out of it, but I was just driving along and then someone started really yelling at me and screaming and, and I just, you know, I just turned and smiled and, you know, I, and, um, <laughs> anyway, so, um, so, so we can notice these moments of choice and um, bring more of the intentions that have been unconscious into consciousness. We can also infuse intention, the intention that we want to um, live our life by, into all the ordinary you know, practices of our life. One of the teachers um, here, Inez Friedman, has this wonderful practice, which she sometimes shares, of when, when doing email, before she clicks send, I think it's before she clicks send, she brings to mind the person who she's sending a message to. And just, you know, and just holds an image of that person. And, you know, with warmth, with kindness, with goodwill. And then sends the message, you know. And I know for myself, there have been times when I've done that. And then I've gone, well, hang on a second. I've gone back and <laughs> changed the message a little bit. Because email, these things, it can be such a flat medium, right? You know, and to bring in a little, just to connect to this human intention can be very helpful. Um, One of the um, wonderful um, Buddhist teachers of, of the 20th century was a monk called uh, Mahagosananda, who was a Cambodian monk. And um, this is from Mahagosananda. The thought manifests as the word. The word manifests as the deed. The deed develops into the habit. Habit hardens into character. Character gives birth to destiny. So watch your thoughts with care and let them spring from love, born out of respect for all beings. Um, you know, if there's any takeaway from, from this practice of being with intentions, of noticing our intentions, connecting with our deepest intentions, one of, the, one of the things that I remember and that I continually remind myself is that as Mahagosananda says, our thoughts really matter. You know, that our thoughts are like, um, with every thought, we're planting seeds. And this is part of the Buddhist understanding of intention and karma. And the, the thoughts that we have now um, are powerful, are really powerful. And so um, 
more powerful, they have an un, maybe an unexpected power that we don't often appreciate. Um, they have a power to heal us and they have a power to hurt us, to harm us, to shape how we experience our life, to shape our character, to shape how we interact with others just from our, just from our thoughts. Um, just in the same way that a seed, you can't believe it that a tiny little seed will grow into a huge tree or a huge, you know. Um, that's why eating seeds is so good, right? Because it has, it has so much nutrition. Um, with every thought, we are planting seeds, you know. And so to spend a little bit of time to think, what is the kind of um, garden that we want to create, we want to grow? And... Um, When we're connected, um, that when we're in touch with what we really care about, with what we deeply want for ourselves, for for our world, um, everything will flow from that. It's like you know, we, um, it's 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 sort of the natural. I think it's our natural inclination to, to um, as, as Mahagosananda says, let, you know, let our thoughts, let our intentions uh, come from a place of love. And then, you know, everything else falls into place. Okay, so I thank you very much for being here, for your intention. And... Do, do we do questions or do we, we, do, we do? Yeah, if there's, we have a few minutes, so if anyone has a question, um, please feel free. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this is embarrassing. Um, I was thinking that not all my intentions are quite so lofty. Um, uh, I like uh, other people in the room. I, I have um, I have something to sell. So a lot of time, uh, I'm a writer. I want people to read my books. I want fans. I want readers. I want to be well-known. So my intention very often is to make that happen. And it seems to be at odds with the kind of intention that you're talking about. I don't want to hurt anybody in the process. I don't think my books would hurt anybody in the process. So can you speak to that uh, kind of conflict? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Is it, did everybody hear the question? Um, th- thank you. It's a great question. And... Um, That's one of the things I was I was I was sort of vaguely alluding to with this um, the experience I just had the other day of of you know making this donation online publicly, and that there were mixed you know there was sort of I could feel that there were sort of mixed there was a mixed motives or a number of things going on, and I think um, we that's sort of how it is. 
you know, and there's, there's often going to be um, multiple intentions or multiple, you know, um, operating. And so I guess the, you know, from the Dharma point of view, um, I mean, how I would reflect on it is there's nothing wrong with being a successful writer. There's nothing wrong with having a livelihood. I mean, the Buddha, ta- you know, t- to have a livelihood is important. Um, and then the question is, and, it, and it's really a personal question, is it's like what... Um, You know, how do different intentions and how do different motivations feel? How do they, when I, when I act out of, um, you, know, um, you, know, you know, I'll use myself as an example, you know, as a teacher. And um, I know that um, for me, the teaching flows, the relationship with students flows when my when i'm so when i 'm clearly in touch with the intention of why am I doing this? what is this about that it 's not about me that it 's about an you know offering something, sharing something um, being of service and um, and yeah, and when people say you know after a talk, you know that was the worst talk I ever heard you know. It's not like, well, everything's empty and, you know, it's, a, you know, it's a, just an offering, so I don't care, you know. No, it's a little bit of like, ouch, you know. And, and I can kind of trace that back and feel, oh, there's also, you know, in the mix here is our other factors operating. And, yeah, it's, I, it's nice to be liked and it's nice to blah, 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 blah. Um, so... That's sort of a long way of saying this practice is, you know, we're, we're not judging, you know, you don't, we don't, we're not bringing a judgmental quality. It's just to notice, you know, how, the, you know, the different motivations that are driving us. And I would say there's a process, there can be a process of continually refining that motivation. So, um, it, but it's, I, I admit, it's a, it can be, a ch- especially if you're kind of selling, I don't know, used cars that are like lemons or something, you know, and you're, <laughs> you know, then maybe the question is, 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 is the livelihood aligned with what I want to be doing? And, um, and maybe for you as a writer, it really is aligned, but the intentions can be more refined and, and more aligned. And maybe when you get out of the way, you know, and um, often people find when we get out of our way, things flow actually a lot more. If I'm concerned about, you know, sometimes we teach with other teachers, you know, so this is kind of co-teaching. Usually we teach with other teachers. And then there have been times when I've taught with teacher and I thought, wow, that was a good talk. You know, and I thought, oh God, I've got to talk right after that, or, you know, whatever. And, um, but actually, now I love it. 
when there's a great talk with somebody else. And that, I just sit there and I'm inspired. And it's like I'm the student and hearing the talk. And then when I give my talk, it's much better because the Dharma sort of, you know, so um, as we refine our intention, we can sort of, you know, that separation, one of, you know, just the experience that I notice is that separation between me and others, self and others, us and them, you know, that can fall away. And then it's someone else's success is my success and inspires me. And, you know, and it's really wonderful if you have a professional life and you work to have colleagues and be as part of a community where you support each other. And it's not this kind of zero-sum game. It's like, you know, if you sell more books, that means that's one less book that someone's buying of mine. But it's really like we're trying to pick each other up. And um, so, you know, it's, so it's an exploration, I think. But I definitely notice for myself this quality of intention can really make a difference. And just, and just to notice where it, it may be blocking me in some way, may, you know, and, and what can be opened up. I don't know. That's, Thank you. Jessica. Is this on? Yeah. Uh, maybe similar to the first question, but from a, a slightly different angle, could you speak a little bit about um, we've talked about sort of the interconnectedness between ourselves and others. Um, the thoughts that might have been planted in us by, say, our parents or society, uh, maybe the not-so-useful ones, um, especially in our continued interactions with the people around us and especially with our family. If they are planting thoughts and ideas in us, how, how can we meet that? Yeah, no, thank you. Did everybody hear that? About the... Um, one of the things that we start to notice when we bring mindfulness to intentions, mindfulness to thoughts, can be the impersonal nature of thoughts. I mean, the, we start to notice the impersonal nature of everything. But in particularly... It's like, where did this thought come from? Or where did this, you know, it, who knows? Who knows? And often it's, as you say, it, it, it comes from our upbringing, it comes from the culture, it may come from parents or media or, um, and uh, so the, the freedom that this practice can bring is to, um, Bringing, we're noticing them more and more. We're 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 bringing them from from the unconscious to the conscious, conscious awareness, and in doing so, give, giving ourselves a choice around them. But one of the other things we can notice is what are the thoughts and what are the intentions that we tend to identify with? As you know, and often it's we don't identify with the the beautiful intentions, the lofty, the, you know, the kind of, the, you know, we sort of take that for granted, or it's like, yeah, that, you know, but the ones that are so-called bad, or, you know, that we, that we are ashamed of, or, or, you know, so, oh, that's really me, you know, 
all the good things, well, that's not me. That's, I can see the selflessness of that. But all the sort of, you know, difficult, or, you know, things. Yeah, that, but that, my guilt is really me. Or my thing is really me. You know, check it out. Check out that assumption. That, I mean, the freedom here is that it's all impersonal. And um, as someone once said, um, I don't know if this is true, but it was, it, it sort of, it's definitely made me think, the sum of one's life, or the sum of one's life, one, no, no, it's one's life is the sum of the suggestions that we choose to accept. One's life is the sum of the suggestions we choose to accept. And every moment we're, we're offered suggestions that we accept or we notice or we change. So in the Dharma, maybe we could change suggestion to intention. Our life is the sum of the intentions that we act on. So, um, and we didn't put those intentions there in the first place. We didn't, you know, they're there through causes and conditions. And when we act on them, they, it causes ripples, it causes consequences. That's what's called karma, you know? And um, so, so I would say um, the practice gives us more, you know, gives us more awareness of the suggestions, the intentions, that are, the thoughts, that, um, um, the perceptions that have been there. And then um, to notice how we relate to those thoughts. Do, are we identifying with them? Are we... Um, you know, are they under the radar because we don't want to see them? There, there's something painful about them. Um, so noticing the relationship and... Um, And then, and then, and sort of noticing the consequences that they have when we when we act on them, and um, but as much as possible without judgment, without you know, it's 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 personal because it's us, but it's really not personal. It's causes and conditions that have, um, you know, we don't choose. We can choose our thoughts, but we don't. You know, thoughts just happen. You know, it's just like. One teacher calls them secretion, you know, brain secretions. <laughs> you know, it's like they're just secreting things. And so as much as possible not to identify with them. Um, and then we get a lot of, so one more thing, we get a lot of confidence when we can, we can put this into practice and we, we, can, we can notice thoughts come up and we can say, that's not true. I don't have to believe that, you know. That never was true. And we let it go, you know. And, and the more we do that, the more we are, as, as it says, we're producing, you know, we're directing our life. We're, you know, um, um, according to what matters to us. Not, to, you know, we're here based on what happened in the past. And what happens in the future determines is determined by what we do now. So that's why intentions are all about the present moment. So if we want to take care of the future, the suggestion here is to, is to, 
to bring everything to the present moment and to take care of this moment. And what the seeds we plant now will, just like the seeds that were planted, have blossomed into how we are now, how things are now. We have, we have a lot of power to shape the future, but it's not in thinking about the future. It's in, it's in taking care of right now and, and the seeds we plant right now, and that, and that determines the future. So, yeah, thank you. And thank you very much. Thank you for your attention.